chapter 23? No, 24 and 25. I, I was going backwards. Not good. <laughs> 24 and 25 for tonight. Second Chronicles, chapter 24. Joash was seven years old when he became king, and he reigned 40 years in Jerusalem. And his mother's name was Zibna of Beersheba. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you again for this time that we are living in, even though we may not want to live in this time. And this year has been so trying for our nation and for the world and for believers around this country, seeing for the first time their faith being tested. So, Lord, that we would learn through the kings of Judah and Israel. And so, Lord, that you would bless our time. Lord, thank you that we bring this over the radio and to those who are at home. So, Lord, your Holy Spirit, join us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Last time we were together, we looked at a wicked queen, the only queen in the south, Adaliah. She was wicked, and we saw that uh, she, she came into the temple. Remember that from last week? And she called treason, treason. We talked about how that was kind of like doublespeak Orwellian. And uh, so now we come into Joash's reign. And so we'll see Joash today and Amaziah as well, but let's get into this verse one. Joash was seven years old when he became king. Now, when you're seven years old, are you going to be a good king? You don't even know what's going on. You're barely playing with Legos. Ish. <laughs> and so you were relying upon somebody else, would we not agree? To some advisor, and we're going to see that that advisor is Jehoiada, and so note with me in verse 2, it, by the way, every time we go through a king, we will see the Holy Spirit making a description of them pretty much in the beginning. So it either is that they followed the ways of their father or King David, uh, or that they did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. And so that's what we see here again in verse 2. So Joash did what was right in the sight of the Lord. And that sounds great, doesn't it? Until you get to the rest of the verse. All the days of Jehoiada the priest. Now, without knowing the rest of the story, the historical account, what would we deduce from that? Is that Joash did what was right until that high priest went away, and then he started to do that which was not pleasing in the sight of the Lord. And yes, that is exactly what happens to Joash, and we will get to that here. And so Jehoiada took two wives for himself, uh, for him, Joash, and he had sons and he had daughters. Now, we're going to see that Jehoiada is a good priest. He uh, helps Joash, but do you, did you see that? Why is it every once in a while in the Bible, you're like, you're, you're rooting for a guy, and you're like, but what's with the two wives? Am I the only one? The Bible says that there should be a man and a woman, not a man and woman's. One man, one woman. This is how, what God has created. And yet, even the priest here compromises in some way. It doesn't tell us why or the what or the who of it. It just simply 
makes a statement. And the statement just happens to be against what God had designed. And so Jehoiada took two wives for Joash. (laughs) Hopefully not at seven. (laughs) I'm the only one. And he had sons and he had daughters. Now it happened after this that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. So from last week, Adaliah had brought in the worship of the Baal. She had brought in the worship from the northern tribes, right? They had a pagan form of worship that mingled just enough of God uh, to sell it to the people, and yet it was pagan through and through. And so Adaliah brought that in, and she basically set up, as we will see, altars to Baal and the asterisk, and the temple stayed neglected and in disrepair. So it's interesting to me that Joash, and, and this is a guy that you're rooting for him, and then at the end, and I don't want to blow it because you should all read ahead every week, is that he just blows it in such a big way. But you're rooting for the guy because he does something here that we should all do. We should all repair the temple. We should all repair that which is broken down in our own spiritual life. So you're rooting for this guy. And so it happened that after this, that Joash set his heart on repairing the house of the Lord. And so he gathered the priests and the Levites, and he said to them, Go out to the cities of Judah and gather from all of Israel money to repair the house of your God from year to year and see that it see that you do it quickly. Moreover, the Levites did not do it quickly. <laughs> okay. Sometimes you read it and you're like, but what? Aren't isn't he the king? Isn't he yet? And so we see the king wanting to do something important. And so he sets his heart on repairing the house of the Lord, but there are no funds because Adaliah had drained everything away. There isn't anything. There really isn't any articles to serve in the temple. There's basically nothing there. So he wants to do this good thing. He tells the priests and the Levites, hey, go out and set up a collection like we saw on Sunday. Remember that from Exodus? And he's going to say, just like in the law of Moses, how Moses had said, listen, we're going to build this tabernacle of meetings, set your heart to the things of the Lord, and give to those who could give to this project. But note with me that the Levites did not act quickly. And he is going to have to rebuke those who should know better and do it. Listen, I I don't want to do like a tag team uh, tithing, giving message right in a row, but isn't this kind of funny how God does it in his word? I don't set this up in the timing of it. But we need to be challenged. We need to say, hey, did did you not see what God said here? And so, however, the Levites did not do it quickly. And so the king, verse 6, called Jehoiada the chief priest, and he said to him, Why have you not required the Levites to bring in from Judah and from Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses, the servant of the Lord, and the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness? So how does the king know that? Now listen, you'll get a big mint. All right, it's small. 
but it, you'll get a mint if you, if you know this. How does Joash know that? He is required from the gallery to write it. Remember, when the king comes in office, he has to sit down and he has to write the first five books of the law. It was required of the king to do that. So you can imagine, I don't know how old he is. Maybe he's 11, he's 12, and he has to write it down. So he knows what Moses has commanded, and he has to tell the high priest and the other priest. It's frustrating when those who are in spiritual authority have to be told what to do far as the Bible. Right? We live in a culture and a time where the hearing of the word of God, and that means the, the, the whole Bible, it's not being taught. And pastors need to be reminded it is your job to give God's word, not to give some fancy story, not to give a time life article, not to give some testimony about your life. And, and again, I, I don't care. And listen, you may say, hey, we love your funny stories, but at the end of the day, it's not about me. It's about God's word. And my role is to give you God's word. And it's interesting to me that this younger man has to encourage the pastor to do his job. What does that tell me? <laughs> that tells me it's the responsibility of the body of Christ to hold their leaders accountable. And you can't say, well, I just sat under that church. Remember uh, President Obama said he didn't hear anything Reverend Wright said for 20 years? Now, that's not possible. You actually did. And by sitting there, you agreed with him. Because you did not leave. And by people not challenging. And I'm not saying that you go to the pastor each week and say, you mispronounced that word because we all know there would be a long line. <laughs> but I'm talking about just encouraging the people with God's word weekly through the Bible. I know it's shocking to say that in 2020, that I have to say, to pastors, teach the Bible rather than a couple of verses. And so we see this younger man challenging the religious leaders, and rightfully so, even Jehoiada, the high priest. Well, so the king, verse 6, called Jehoiada the chief priest and said to him, why have you not required to bring I required the Levites to bring from Judah and Jerusalem the collection according to the commandment of Moses. Notice the servant of the Lord and of the assembly of Israel for the tabernacle of witness. He takes them right back to the Bible. And it tells us here, a little commentary, for the, son, uh, the sons of Adaliah, that wicked woman, I love the Bible, <laughs> that Jezebel of a woman, had broken into the house of God and had presented all the dedicated things of the house of the Lord to the Baals. They had taken that thing that was sacred and presented it or gave it away to the things of the world. You and I are the temple of the Holy Spirit. We are not to give ourselves to the world or the Baals of this world, to the Asterisk or any other God. You belong, you have been made in the image of Jehovah Yahweh God. 
And God takes that seriously here as well, as we'll see. And so, Adaliah was the problem. Verse 8, Then at the king's command, they made a chest and set it outside the gate of the house of the Lord. And they made a proclamation throughout Judah and Jerusalem to bring to the Lord the collection that Moses, the servant of God, had imposed on Israel in the, witness, in the wilderness. So, uh, Joash does something that I, I love. In fact, I, I know a pastor that did this as well. And they just put a chest outside, and it was for a building project that they were doing. They had the normal collections that they in the box that they had, but they simply just had a chest there. And he, he just told people, hey, when you, when you get a chance or the Lord lays it in your heart, just put, put it in the chest. And it was amazing what they were able to bring in. It was there, it was in front of them every time they came into the sanctuary. Just like Joash here, he put it right there, notice, outside the gate of the house of the Lord. They had to walk in to go and they passed by this chest. It was a reminder to them that the house of the Lord was in disrepute and needed to be fixed well. He made this proclamation, so he let the people know. He let the people know that there was a need because if you weren't in Jerusalem, you didn't know that there was a need necessarily for that. You had not seen that. And so throughout Judah and Jerusalem, to bring to the Lord the collection the servant of Moses had imposed on, the, on Israel in the wilderness, and this was simply just the temple tax to pay for the wood of the offering, to pay for the animals of the offering, to pay the salaries, to pay the light bills, to pay the, you name it, right? Everything was to be used out of that temple tax. And so, verse 10, then all the leaders and all the people rejoiced. Now, when you give a, a tithing message, do you, do you usually hear the people like, that's, that's awesome. I want to give more. I, I've never heard anybody say that to me yet. Pastor, I want to give more. Wonderful. The people rejoiced. Why? Because they saw the need and they saw a leader stand up and say, listen, this is biblical and this is right. And so the people and the leaders rejoiced. They brought their contributions and they put them into the chest until all had given. And so it was at that time when the chest was brought to the king's officials by the hand of the Levites, and when they saw that there was much money, the king's scribes and the high priest's officers came and emptied the chest and took it and returned it into its place. And thus they did this day by day in the gathering of the money in abundance. And so the king and Jehoiada gave it to those who did the work of the service of the house of the Lord. Notice with me, they hired masons, carpenters to repair the house of the Lord and also those who worked in iron and in bronze to restore the house of the Lord. They used the money that came in from the people on the house of the Lord. And so the workmen labored and and the work was completed by them And they restored the house of God in its original condition and reinforced it, which means they added to it. And when they had finished, they brought the rest of the money before the king and Jehoiada, 
And they made it from the articles of the house of the Lord because the articles for the serving and the offering of the, the spoons, the vessels of gold and silver, they used the extra for that. And they offered burnt offerings in the house of the Lord continually all the days of Jehoiada. But Jehoiada grew old and was full of days, and he died. And he was 130 years old when he did die. Woo! <laughs> That's long. Notice, and they buried him in the city of David among the kings because he had done good in Israel towards God and his house. Now, after the death of Jehoiada, the leaders of Judah came and they bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. So you read verse 17, and you look at it, and you go, okay, Jehoiada is gone. What could go wrong at this point? We've got a newly restored temple. We've got priests doing their job. We've got leaders doing their job. We've got the people doing their job. We have Joash, a king who has set his heart towards the things of the Lord, wanting to do good. Isn't that exciting? I wish it stopped there. But that's not what happened. Now, after the death of the leaders of Judah, they came and they bowed down to the king, and the king listened to them. Verse 18 says, Therefore, they left the house of the Lord God of their fathers. That's, there's a comma there because that tells us what they did first. So by leaving the house of the Lord, the result is going to be what follows. When you and I remove ourselves from the fellowship inside of the house of the Lord, can I tell you what, what I, I can expect next to happen in your life? Will be the next thing that is written. Not all the time, but that's why the Bible says, do not forsake the assembly of the body of Christ. Why is that? Why is it important for you and I to make connections and friends inside of the body of Christ? Why is that so important? So that your friend who is sitting next to you or in another service can, can let you know, hey, I, I noticed you haven't been in service. I noticed I haven't seen you in a couple of weeks or a month. It is to make sure that we stay together as the body of Christ, to hold each other accountable. And so, that, listen, not to get on anybody, but would we not agree that everyone in the room needs somebody to hold them accountable? Like, in a loving, godly way, like, what are you doing? Hopefully that has happened in your life, a good testimony where someone come up to you and said, hey, bonehead, in a loving Jesus way. Because sometimes that's what we need. What are you doing? Why haven't you been in church? Well, you know, I've been, no, not well, yeah, you know. It is the love of those people in our lives to bring us back into fellowship. And maybe this hasn't happened to you and it's all some other group of people out there that I'm speaking to, but you know, it's really hard to come back to church after three weeks, four weeks, five weeks, and now the devil's like, you can't go back. Anybody else hear that in their head? 
And this is what true friends in the body of Christ are supposed to do. They're supposed to challenge. And so we have that, therefore, verse 18, they left the house of the Lord, their God of their fathers. And here's the result. They served the wooden images and idols, and the wrath of God came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Why would we serve the living and the true God, and then the next week go serve something that's wooden? (laughs) It just doesn't make sense. Why would we serve the true and the living God and then go serve the God of the NFL? Or whatever your God is. Does it, it doesn't make sense. And yet that's what they did. And what is the result of it? It tells us the wrath of God came upon Judah and Jerusalem. Now, the wrath of God in this way is very, it's very Old Testament it's very old school. It's exact, exactly what you think it is. Medieval, terrible, plagueish. Amen. That doesn't happen today for us as believers. The wrath of God comes upon us in a different way. Judgment comes upon us in a different way, in a disciplined way. And so God used often horrible things to get the attention of his people. Now, if you're interested, read the book of Joel because Joel is one of the prophets during this time speaking, and we'll see that here in a minute. But note with me again that the wrath of God came upon Judah and Jerusalem because of their trespass. Sadly, Joash seemed to have been a fundamentally weak man. How do I know that? Because he did good when only he was under the authority of Jehoiada. And he did bad when he was under the influence of the leaders of Judah. It seemed here through God's word that Joash really was a weak man. He listened to Jehoiada, obviously from seven years old, that's all he knew as a mentor was Jehoiada. And you know that growing up, that you have a strong person in your life, a mentor, a father figure, or whatever. You want to please them. Well, it would seem that's where Joash is because then the leaders come and they bow down to the king. uh, And he follows them. A good old dead guy said it this way, and I love this quote. He said, all that Joash had done was to give his heart to Jehoiada and not to Jehovah. It's very easy to be outwardly religious by giving your heart to your mother or your father, your aunt or your uncle, or some good person who helps you to do what is right. You are only doing all of this out of love to them, which is at best a very secondary motive. God says, my son Give me thine heart. Oftentimes, we want to please everybody that the person we should be trying to please, who is our our Father in heaven. So religion, again, becomes very dangerous. It would seem that Joash is in that. 
And verse 19, yet he sent prophets to them to bring them back to Yahweh God. And they testified against them. I know this is going to be a shocker, but they didn't listen. Now, the United States has becoming fastly, fastly, how about that? Fastly. I think I just invented that. It has become fastly an anti-Christian nation. Kind of as rapidly as as I have ever seen it. Like the speed at which it is, the vitriol that it is going. Um, it's, It's quite amazing to see that. And yet in this nation, God has allowed lots of prophets to come to the United States of America to speak forth God's truth and to warn people. And yet, what does it say at the end? But they wouldn't listen. Why do we think that the United States of America will escape God's wrath, God's judgment? God would say, can I line up all of the guys that I sent from Jonathan Edwards to D.O. Moody to Charles Spurgeon to Chuck Smith to Billy Graham to Franklin Graham to Greg Laurie on down the line? Everybody on every media platform And yet, what does it say? They would not listen. All right, well, what do you think is going to happen? Then the Spirit of God came upon Zechariah, the son of Jehoiada, the priest, who stood above the people, and he said to them, Thus says God, Why do you trespass the commandment of people out there? That's not what it means. It means to do well or to go well with you. Life goes well. Have you ever heard that from your father? (laughs) Life will go really well if you just obey. It will go really bad with you if you disobey. It's amazing. And so, thus says the Lord, why do you transgress the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Notice, because you have forsaken the Lord and you don't ever want to hear this from the prophet, he also has forsaken you. Now, let's have a little breathing in and out. New Testament, I will never leave you nor forsake you, Jesus said. Isn't that good news? We can walk away from him. He'll never walk away from us. He'll never forsake us, right? Great. He's always there. If you don't feel him there, it's not his fault, it's your fault. You walked away from him. You walked away, as we saw this model, from the church. You walked away from the protection that is inside of this room. Would you not rather have this room praying for you? Seeking the best for you? Encouraging you? Or be outside there on your own through COVID? Through Muzzle mandates. You'll get that on the way home. That's what I'm calling it lately. (laughs) Lockdowns and all of this crazy stuff. Would you rather be out there without Jesus or in here? Going through it, 
but with wackos like you and I around. Isn't that good news? So when we leave the Lord, what do we expect is going to happen? Well, if you didn't read ahead, what do you think happens to people who give God's message and the truth? Well, in this day, you get banned. And you get fact-checked by Chinese fact-checkers. Did you notice that? Did you hear that lately? That YouTube and Facebook use Chinese fact-checkers to fact-check us? So we are <laughs> going to be protecting ourselves here at CCMB with our media. And so we have gone on to a new platform called Parlor, But we are also going on a new platform platform called Rumble. Very few people know about Rumble yet. It is the YouTube alternative because we keep getting flagged by some of the content we put on. So this new site, Rumble, which you can go on to our website. There's a link, Rumble. Put the app on there. It's like YouTube. Please subscribe to it. Um, and it is protected, and they will protect what we say and what we do on that platform. Kind of funny, it's a Canadian company. <laughs> Wait till the government takes over that. All right. So, they conspired against him. Who's the him? Zechariah, the, the prophet. And at the command of who? The king, the government. The king is the government. The government is bringing the hammer down on who? The prophet. And what did the prophet just say? Truth. But people don't want to hear the truth. When we get to our section in the end times in Luke 21, which we are almost at, Jesus says this amazing statement in the very beginning of the end times or the Olivet Discourse, he says, do not be deceived. Don't be deceived. And the problem is a lot of people today are so trusting of the government who has deceived us and lied to us, not only this year, but for a long time. And I love how the Holy Spirit tells us, so they conspired against him. That's the Lord's and the rulers, as well as the command of the king, to stone him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. So they got an executive order to stone the prophet right there. Right in the house of God. I'm not sure that uh, God's going to take that... Uh, too lightly, do you? And so it happened. Oh, I'm sorry. I didn't finish verse 22. So Joash the king, notice, did not remember the kindness which Jehoiada his father had done to him, but killed his son, and he died, and he said, the Lord look on it and repay it. So please note with me that Joash did not remember the kindness of Jehoiada that he had known for so long. That means he is so far away from the Lord, that he can't even remember what God did for him in his past through Jehoiada. But it's not just that. It says, 
which Jehoiada, his father, had done to him, but killed his son, and he died. And he said, this is, um, Zach- uh, this is Zachariah, the Lord look on it and repay it. So the prophet, before he dies, he simply prays, Lord, are you watching? Which he is. And the prophet says, repay it. And that was simply it. And so it happened in the spring of that year that the army of Syria came up against him and they came to Judah and Jerusalem and they destroyed all the leaders of the people from among the people and sent all their spoil to the king of Damascus. So the very leaders that lent are sent and helped Joash remove himself from God's presence and install the fake and false idols, they're all wiped away. Verse 24 says, For the army of the Syrians came with, <laughs> don't you love how God tells us this? A small company of men. God doesn't need a big group. But the Lord delivered a very great army into their hands because they had forsaken the Lord God of their fathers. So they executed judgment against Joash. And when he had withdrawn from him, for they left him severely wounded, his own servants conspired against him because of the blood of the sons of Jehoiada the priest. So it would seem that he not only killed Jehoiada the priest, but Jehoiada's uh, brothers as well. Just wiped them all out. He killed him on his bed, and so he died, and they buried him in the city of David, but they did not bury him in the tombs of the king. I thought that was interesting. And these are the ones that conspired against him, Zobab, and notice with me, the son of Shimeath, and uh, the Ammonitis, and Jehozabab, who is from Moabitus. So you have these two pagans who... (laughs) are the vengeance of the Lord against the king of Judah. Now concerning his sons and the many oracles about him and the repairing of the house of God, indeed, are they not written in the annals of the books of the kings? And they are. And then Amaziah, his son, reigned in his stead. Chapter 25. And so Amaziah was 25 years old when he became king, and he reigned 29 years in Jerusalem, And his mother's name was Jehoiadad of Jerusalem. And he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with a loyal heart. So kind of a Christian. Can you be a kind of a Christian? Paul talks about there are carnal Christians. And so he said he did what was right in the sight of the Lord, but not with the loyal heart. Now it happened, as soon as the kingdom was established for him, the transition between uh, Joash and him, that he executed the servants who had murdered his father, the king. (laughs) However, he did not execute their children. Listen, pause. The normal way of doing things in this time, and not only this time, but on into like, English history, Germanic tribes, Chinese tribes, everybody. When you came in, you wiped out anybody who was left from the previous administration. (laughs) Would be a different government, wouldn't it, if uh, that happened here? But it doesn't happen. That's what happened. So 
verse 4 is something unique with Amaziah. And what is unique is that he follows what God's word says. But he did as it is written in the law of the book of Moses, which the Lord commanded, saying, The fathers shall not be put to death for their children, nor the children be put to death for their fathers. But a person shall die for his own sin. You and I, how we were raised, now yes, it may affect us, but as a believer, that, look, the Bible doesn't know anything about generational sin. What it knows is that you are responsible for your own life, for your own walk with God. As tough as that may be, you can rise through that by the power of the Holy Spirit. So you don't have to be like your father who was a drunk or an addict or whatever, womanizer, abuser. You can be different because what God's Word says. And you are not held responsible for your parents' whatever. And you are not held responsible for your children and what they have done. And what he's talking about is adult kids. Everybody got that? So if you got an adult kid right now and they're really dumb, you're not held accountable for that. They will. And that's just what it is. And verse 4 is very clear at the end. I don't know how clear you can get, but a person shall die for his own sin. Own. We own our trespasses against God. We don't get to say, I was raised that way. We don't get to say, but I'm Irish. Yeah? I was raised in that. No. You don't get to say that. You don't get to justify your sin. Moreover, verse 5, Amaziah gathered Judah together and set over them captains of thousands and captains of hundreds according to their father's houses throughout all of Judah and Benjamin, and he numbered them from 20 years old and above and found there to be 300,000 choice men to go to war who could handle the spear and the shield. Why does he do that? Because his dad's army just got obliterated. Remember, they were at one point had over a million troops, and now we're done down to, done, we're done down to. <laughs> 300,000, that's a big difference. And so he also hired, verse 6, 100,000 mighty men of valor from Israel for 100 talents of silver. Now, pause, verse 6. Does anybody think that that's a good idea? To hire soldiers from our family in the north, but who are now pagan worshipers of Baal and the Astros who don't believe like we believe. Remember we had Jehoshaphat and his problem, and he, and he told Ahab, hey, you're like me, and I'm like you, and our people are, and we went, uh, no. If God is on the side of Amaziah, does, does he really need 100,000 pagan soldiers? If God is on our side, do we really need to go to our enemy for help? Isn't that? what Amaziah is doing. He's going to the world. Well, let's see what happens. I, I mean, I know what's going to happen. I read it. 
But a man of God came to him. It doesn't even say who. Just a man of God. Because that's all you need. You don't need some super cult of personality pastor out there who's on the cover of this man of God, this woman of God, saying, O king, don't let the army of Israel go with you, for the Lord is not with Israel. <laughs> He's not with any. That's pretty clear in it. He's not with any of the children of Ephraim. Children of Ephraim was a, uh, another way of saying Israel. But if you go, I love how the prophet says this, the man of God. But if you go, <laughs> be gone. Be strong in the battle. Even so, God shall make you fall before your enemy, for God has the power to help and to overthrow. The man of God says, don't align yourself with the enemy because Jehoshaphat did that, didn't go well with him. Don't do that. But if you go, please note, you will fall and you will be destroyed. And I love this at the end of verse 8. For God has the power to do what? To help. God has the power to help us against our enemies. Do you believe that today? Hopefully, not only does he have the help, but he can overthrow the enemy. Listen, Satan and God are not equal. God created <laughs> that Lucifer. He's a created being. God is not. And so he has the power to overthrow. And so Amaziah <laughs> said to the man of God, But what should we do about the hundred talents which I've given to the troops of Israel? Now, this is a wonderful back and forth that I think that we should all pay attention to. What happens when you make a bonehead financial mistake? Got it? You didn't think the Bible had financial wisdom in it, did you? No one in this room's ever made a bonehead financial mistake. My wife and I, when we were newly married, we thought it would be a wonderful idea to go buy a brand new Toyota Tundra for $400 a month payment as newlyweds. Woohoo! Can you say stupid? We were. <laughs> uh, I won't even go into the length of that story. All to say is when we brought that vehicle to South Carolina and then we started having children's, we needed a mini van and got taken to the cleaners by the Dodge dealer and knew it. But we had no choice. And it was like God just saying, are you going to do that again? No. No. So, the Bible is filled with good financial wisdom. Well, what do you do when you make a bad financial deal? What do you do? Well, let's see. <laughs> I love this. He says, well, what should we do? Um, what shall we do? Where did I go? Nine. Thank you. What should we do about the hundred talents which I have given to the troops of Israel. And the man of God answered and said, the Lord is able. By the way, I love that phrase all through the Bible. The Lord's able. The Lord is able to give you much more than this. If you're faithful to him, 
Now listen, go read Joel because Joel's in the, this time. God is able to restore the years the locust has eaten. Isn't that great? This is the prophet that's around during this time. And he says, the Lord is able to give you much more than this. And listen, my own uh, testimony with my wife and our decision to do that, God has blessed us immensely later on with vehicles. <laughs> and uh, it's, it's good because I'm here uh, as a testimony to God's faithfulness, even when we do dumb things. Amen? I, I love telling people I'm dumb because it just shows the power of God. This is what he's done in my life. And when I seek the Lord and do those wonderful things that he wants me to do and, and act on them, it's even greater. But his grace gets poured upon us. And so the man of God simply tells him, listen, God is able to give us much more than this. And so Amaziah, to his credit, discharged the troops that had come to him from Ephraim or Israel to go back to their home. Therefore, their anger was greatly aroused against Judah, and they returned home in great anger. Now, I don't know why they're mad in verse 10. They're soldiers, number one. They don't have to go and die in a battlefield, and they got paid for doing nothing. Oh, I'm mad I didn't, have to, I didn't get to kill anybody. I would think that that's a good thing. You didn't have to go to war, but they're mad. Then Amaziah strengthened himself, and leading his people like a leader should, he went to the Valley of Salt, and he killed 10,000 of the people of Seir in the area of Moab. Also, the children of Judah took captives, 10,000 alive, and he brought them to the top of the rock. I don't know why this is here, but it is. And he cast them down from the top of the rock, and so they were dashed into pieces. But as for the soldiers of the army, which Amaziah had discharged, so that they would not go with him to battle, they raided the cities of Judah and Samaria to Beth Horon and killed 3,000 of them and took much spoil. Now, that doesn't seem fair, does it? He did what he was supposed to do. He did what he was supposed to do, what the man of God said, which was to let them go. But here it is. When we make these kind of decisions without going to God, there are repercussions for our actions. We don't get to just make dumb things and go, nothing will ever happen to us. It does. And when it does... Lord, I don't want to do that again. Look at the carnage that happened after that. Now, it was so, verse 14, when Amaziah came from the slaughter of the Edomites, that he brought the gods of the people of Seir and set them to be his God, and he bowed down before them and burned incense to them. What are you doing? The man of God told him, God's on your side. He's going to take care of you. They won the battle. They threw 10,000 guys off of a mountain, dashed them into pieces. And then he thought, I got a good idea. Let me take the gods of the, of the enemy that lost 
Now, if their gods were strong, wouldn't of them their gods have won the battle? Do you see sometimes people make really weird choices that make zero sense at all? Anybody ever? Not you, of course, somebody else that you know. You're like, what? Wait a minute. God helped you win the battle. And so to reward God for your faithfulness, you took their gods. And then you bowed down to them. Makes perfect sense. Or does it? Don't look at it. What do you think is going to happen? <laughs> you think God's going to go, oh, good idea. Good idea. Bow down to the wooden gods. Amaziah has been doing good up to this point, except for the hiring and then without the, and then, but letting them go back and then not so good throwing the people off the mountain. Then the anger of the Lord was aroused against Amaziah. And he sent him a prophet who said to him, Why have you sought the gods of the people which could not rescue their own people from their hand? Don't you love common sense? It's all through the Bible. Common sense. The prophet says, What are you doing? They couldn't rescue themselves, but now you're going to follow them. And so it was. As, a, as he talked with him, the king said to him, Have we made you the king's counselors? Cease. Why should you be not killed? <laughs> then the prophet ceased and said, I know that God has determined to destroy you because you have done this thing and you have not heeded my voice. So like Joash, who didn't want to hear from God or didn't hear the truth, he stopped, but the king says, hey, did I make you a king's counselor? And so he told him to cease, and the prophet did cease, but he just said, uh, just so you know, you're going to die. Now Amaziah, the king of Judah, asked advice and sent to Joash, the son of Jehoiada, Jehoahaz. Joash is a king in the north. I know this is they, it's like, can someone get better names? They're all using the same names, and it can get very confusing of the name. But so we got another Joash in the north, the son of Jehoahaz, the son of Jehu, who is wicked, who God sent a prophet to destroy that line, saying, come let us face one another in battle. So Amaziah, fresh off a of victory, killed all of these troops, got new gods, put them in his pocket. The prophet comes to him and says, don't do that. That's dumb. If you're going to follow that, then you're going to be destroyed. So what does he do? He picks a fight with his northern neighbor because he is prideful at this point because he just won this battle in the south. So he says, come let us face one another in battle. So Joash, king of Israel, sent to Amaziah, king of Judah, saying, the thistle, which is small, <laughs> that was in Lebanon, said to the cedar, which is tall, huge, in Lebanon, saying, give your daughter to my son as a wife. And a wild beast that was in Lebanon passed by and trampled the thistle. 
Okay. This is what he said. You're an idiot. Because you have very few troops and I have a huge army. Don't come picking a fight. Isn't it funny that pagans sometimes tell us the truth and that God uses that? God uses that. Uses pagans to tell us the truth, what we should be doing. <laughs> so he does it. Don't pick a fight with me. Indeed, verse 19, you say you have defeated the Edomites. Listen to this pagan in the north, the king. And your heart is lifted up to boast. <laughs> Stay at home now. Why should you meddle with trouble that you should fall? You and Judah with you. Don't poke the bear. That's what he just said. And I don't know about you, but that is beautiful advice. I've never in the wilderness ever thought I'm going to walk up to a bear and go, poke. Never thought that was a good idea ever, ever, ever. When you see a bear, you quietly try to become a tree and back away slowly. But Amaziah, please note with me, lifted up in pride. Now Amaziah, verse 20, as you can well know, would not heed. Notice, for it came from God. God can use pagans to speak forth his word. And that he might give him into the hands of their enemies because they sought the gods of Edom. And so Joash, king of Israel, went out and he and Amaziah, king of Judah, faced one another at Beth Shemesh, which belongs to Judah. And you're going to see, he's going to get beat on his own territory. And so Judah was defeated by Israel, and every man fled to his tent. And so Joash, the king of Israel, captured Amaziah, king of Judah, the son of Joash, the son of Jehoiahaz, at Beth Shemesh. And he brought him to Jerusalem, and he broke down the wall of Jerusalem from the gate of Ephraim to the corner gate, about 400 cubits, of, of which, by the way, pause, came from the last giving of all of the people when they had restored the temple and brought in more into the treasury. That's all gone now. All the articles that were found in the house of the God, they just redid all of those articles with Obed-Edom and the treasure of the king's house and hostages and returned to Samaria. And Amaziah, the son of Joash, king of Judah, lived 15 years after the death of Joash, the son of Jehoiahaz, the king of Israel. Now the rest of the acts of Amaziah from the first to the last, are they not written in the books of the kings of Israel? And they are. And after that time, Amaziah turned away from following the Lord and they made a conspiracy against him in Jerusalem and he fled to Lachish but they sent after him to Lachish and they killed him there and then they brought him on horses and buried him with his fathers in the city of Judah. Two kings tonight, right? Joash, seemingly young, innocent, following Jehoiada the priest, doing what was right, but really only pleasing Jehoiada, not having a true walk with God. 
just pleasing, going through the religious motions. And then Amaziah, who briefly listened to God, but then at the end of his life, he chose the things of the world over the things of the Lord. He chose the false gods. Now, the next time we're together, which is the night before Christmas Eve, we will look at one of the best kings, and that is Uzziah. Isaiah is the prophet during that time, and he said, uh, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. That's Isaiah 6, and that was right after the death of Uzziah. We're going to see that Uzziah is a good king, and he comes on the throne when he is 16 after having really two bad examples come before him. So read ahead. Next time with Uzziah the king, let's pray. Lord, we thank you again for these examples, and we thank you, Lord, for the men and women that come to us with good godly counsel. We thank you, Lord, for your grace and your mercy, even, Lord, when we fail you. And we know that there are consequences for that. Lord, we thank you that the sins of the Father don't transfer to the sins of the sons and vice versa. We are all guilty and we all own up to our own sin, our own failure. We are all held accountable for what we do against you. And so, Lord, thank you for this gathering. We thank you for the body of Christ, that we would continue to see its importance and its need in our lives. Lord, we love you. And Lord, we pray already for Christmas Eve that you prepare the hearts of those coming so that, Lord, they have the opportunity to accept you and receive the best gift on Christmas, that of eternal life. Thank you again, Lord, for our time. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's